The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 541 for October 23rd, 2016. New chips released from Qualcomm, AT&T agrees to purchase Time Warner, and Apple releases 10.0.3. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first this week, under the Fourth Amendment, Americans are protected from unreasonable seizures and searches, but according to one group of federal prosecutors, just being in the wrong house at the wrong time is enough to cause even a single person inside to produce their fingerprints to unlock their phone. So back in 2014, a Virginia circuit court ruled that while suspects cannot be forced to provide phone passcodes, biometric data like fingerprints doesn't have the same constitutional protection. And since then, multiple law enforcement agencies have tried to force individual suspects to unlock their phones with their fingers. Here's what's happening. In a court document filed earlier this year, federal prosecutors in California have argued that a warrant for a mass finger unlocking was unconstitutional, even though the government does not know uh, ahead of time the identity of every digital device or every fingerprint. So it has demonstrated probable cause. The evidence may exist at the search location. Uh, Further, criminal defense lawyers have said that uh, they want to be able to get a warrant or on the assumption that they will learn more after they have that warrant. So here's what's happening with this. You're essentially being forced to give up your fingerprints if you happen to be at the wrong place when something like this happens. So Right, because, you know, not giving up the passcode to your, uh, you know, device is different than the fingerprint is. We've kind of had a few cases like this in the past, but, you know, the the the, the interesting part about this case is that they're, they're, they want to compel everybody that, uh, you know, that's like at a spot where a, a warrant is being served. So, you know, if there's 10 people hanging out in your, uh, in your house when they, they, they serve a warrant, you will, uh, everybody is going to be compelled to give that. And, of course, it's different than being... Um, uh, uh, being uh, compelled to uh, provide your passcode, which, you know, a lot of times you can uh, be ordered by a judge to do that. But in this case, they're basically forcing people to um, to do that while uh, they're they're uh, being arrested. And of course, you know, if you're being detained at a at a search warrant house, of course, they'll pat you down. And that's a search that's reasonable because there's protection involved and there's things like that. But going into your phone, which is um, you know, contains lots of private information, you know, potentially, you know, mountains and mountains of information gets into that point where it's probably, um, you know, beyond a reasonable search. So, and that's what, uh, you know, the fourth amendment gives us is a reasonable search and seizure, you know, uh, searching your body, uh, if a warrant's being served is reasonable, but searching your, you know, phone, which could potentially contain your entire, uh, digital life is, is, is pretty much not, but in this case, they're arguing that it is. So I think the biggest distinction here is that it, it has to do with what a judge is asking you to do versus what law enforcement is asking you to do. So, um, you know, when you're when you're talking about going into a particular situation where you are effectively being asked by uh, law enforcement to give up certain credentials to get into a device versus what the, a judge is asking you to do, um, these numeric passcodes are something that law enforcement is not um, you know, being required, law enforcement is not able to require you to do this versus California is now saying that if, if you happen to be in a house and you happen to have a device and they happen to find law enforcement says that you've got this device that 
potentially could have information on it that's useful to them. They're now saying that they could be, uh, they would be allowed to require you to do this. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of brings an interesting point as well. You know, if you've got information you don't want to, uh, to be easily accessible, maybe you shouldn't set up a, a fingerprint on your phone. And that's kind of what you, you start thinking of because, um, you know, I think uh, it's, it's not really common right now, but I, I do know it is possible with the right set of tools and uh, equipment to uh, replicate your fingerprint in a, you know, like a, a rubber mold and actually get it to activate uh, these fingerprint sensors. It, it, it's, it's pretty tricky to do, but I know it is possible. And I'm sure, uh, you know, agencies have the ability to do that, you know, taking uh, a fingerprint probably from a fingerprint cart and reproducing it uh, and, and having it actually unlock the device. But of course, with iPhones, and I'm, I'm sure Androids are the same way, you know, you've got a certain number of hours to do that. And that's where it becomes, uh, you know, time becomes a factor with that uh, sort of process. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting, right? Because as you know, a lot of us think when we put our fingerprints onto these devices, that this is the most secure way of, of, of securing our devices, but um, ultimately it, it might not be. Um, and it, it might actually be better just to be putting in a code that is something that only you have in, in your head. And it's not something that is a physical attribute to you. Right. But and also codes aren't completely secure either, because if you look at your fingerprints on your screen, you know, if you look at it in the right light, you can kind of see where your fingers pressed the screen. Um, and, you know, with only a certain number of combinations, you could try those same digits and, and actually get the, the device to unlock uh, if you're lucky. So, there, I mean, there, it's everything's not always foolproof, even with codes. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, you know, certainly as, as they're trying to kind of figure out how do they get around these, you know, types of, of security measures that are in place at this point, it, it does make it very difficult to try and figure out what is, you know, the, the best and most secure way to secure a device. And, um, you know, there's there's things out there like facial recognition, iris recognition, all of these, you know, other biometric pieces that are coming into play when we talk about how do we secure these devices. And, you know, none of them are going to be foolproof as you're able to effectively unlock a device just by effectively doing nothing but looking at a phone, uh, if you think about that. So, uh, very interesting stuff here, and uh, certainly we'll be watching this. As I would imagine this is going to continue on through the court systems and uh, will be a topic of conversation moving forward as well. Well, following last week's news of the Department of Transportation's banning of the Galaxy Note 7s on aircraft, Samsung has begun accepting the handsets for returns at airports in several countries. Samsung began accepting Note 7 returns at airports in its home market of Korea, followed by Australia and some locations in the U.S., including San Francisco. The booths are located before security checkpoints at high-traffic terminals. Samsung has not provided a list of U.S. airports nor said if it will expand beyond those already in operation. Now, as for the parts of the unsold Note 7, Samsung said it will pay the component suppliers for the Note 7 parts as they may have already made them. The company will also compensate suppliers for in-progress or unfinished parts, as well as any materials that those suppliers have purchased to manufacture those parts. So Samsung will also look to further give suppliers orders of future devices to soften the economic impact of canceling the phone. It did not provide, however, details of how it might spend the what it might spend to compensate the part suppliers. Samsung is already expected to cancel uh, all of its phones and pay a cost of approximately $5.5 billion in profits to do so. And that is, of course, in the uh, current quarter here, the fourth quarter of 2016 and the first quarter of 2017, when it would be expected to sell most of these devices. 
Yeah, it's not just Samsung that takes the hit when uh, something like this happens. Uh, there's, I mean, there's got to be dozens and dozens and dozens of suppliers that uh, supply parts and raw materials for uh, for these phones. And, and uh, think of the supply chain. It's got it's a very complicated supply chain that goes into making something like this. And and uh, when you have a, a quick disruption like that, there's a lot of costs that. Uh, a lot of the supply chain has to bear uh, because of the, the, you know, the way business is done where, you know, all the suppliers take on the kind of the risk of, you know, building all this inventory ahead of time for, you know, orders that have been promised in the future. Right. And, you know, as you, as you think about how many, you know, whether it's obviously the batteries and the, the, the faulty batteries that they had, but then it's also the, you know, the actual silicon inside, you know, whether it's the, the processor or the modems and, and of course the memory and, and all of the other things that go into it, the screen manufacturer, the, the case manufacturers, the glass screen manufacturers, all of that. Uh, there's just a, a lot of pieces to it. And when you think about how Samsung is, is kind of put together all of these pieces, um, it, it, it it's it's really big of them, I think, to be able to, to say that they're going to compensate all those suppliers for that, um, because certainly they could just say, "Look, we're we're going to be canceling this device, and and you're kind of out of luck." And so, um, you know, it, it's I think that's the right thing for them to do. And you know, whether or not they move forward with another device in the future that is, you know, uses the same types of technologies and the same types of, of supplier components, et cetera, um, it, it still I think is is a it, it's a very good you know, plan for them to, to be doing this. And, um, you know, this, this is going to be a, a big impact on the company. And if you're a, a shareholder, obviously you're going to feel this. Um, but you know, it, it also, it, it's the right thing for them to do. So I'm glad to see that they're doing this. In other chipset news, uh, Qualcomm on Tuesday announced the new Snapdragon application processors for mid and volume mobile devices. So the Snapdragon 653 and 626, along with the Snapdragon 427, are all paired with the Qualcomm X9 LTE modem with Cat 7 download, that's 300 megabits per second, and Cat 13 upload speeds. This includes 2 by 20 megahertz carrier aggregation, 64 QAM on the uplink, and voiceover LTE with enhanced voice services. The Snapdragon 653 improves on the Snapdragon 652. Faster performance, double the RAM, now up to 8 gigs, and the 626 improves the 625's quicker CPU performance, also has a better antenna and wider software compatibility. The 427 is an update to the 425 with faster speeds and the true signal antenna, antenna tuning. Uh, Qualcomm says the Snapdragon 653 and 626 will reach mobile devices before the end of the year, the 427, in early 2017. And along with the new application processors, Qualcomm announcing the new Snapdragon X50 5G modem, which it claims is the first commercial 5G modem chipset for mobile device makers. The X50 is meant to help companies build potential 5G cellular devices and will also help network operators with their 5G trials, though not necessarily for consumer devices just yet. The modem targets millimeter wave operations in the 28 gigahertz spectrum band. It also boasts MIMO technology and adaptive beam forming and beam tracking techniques. These are also meant to help maintain connections when the device does not have a direct line of sight with a cell tower or signal source. The X50 boasts download speeds of up to 5 gigabits per second and can be paired with just about any Snapdragon processor that will support multi-mode 5G and 4G operation. 
Qualcomm believes making the Snapdragon X50 uh, 5G modem will be available uh, and to network operators is vital, uh, that is, to moving forward with their lab tests as well as early trials, early deployments, and eventually standardization. They also said that the testing can optimize their devices to function on the MM Wave technology, otherwise known as Millimeter Wave. Uh, the Snapdragon X50 and development platform will include transceivers, power management chips, and the modem itself. And Qualcomm expects to perform a sample during the second half of 2017, with commercial products appearing approximately 18 months from now. The second round of the FCC's reverse auction ended abruptly this week, just a few hours after starting due to a lack of demand. So initial bids reached about $20 billion, falling far short of the $55 billion clearing cost that was required. Uh, the FCC will now go back to the television broadcasters to renegotiate prices for their licenses before kicking off round three. The FCC said bidding may stretch into 2017 before the auction ends. The initial clearing price was an astronomical $86 billion. Television stations have agreed to give up this spectrum to sell it to wireless carriers. AT&T on Tuesday launching roaming in Cuba. So AT&T customers can now talk, text, and use data while traveling to Cuba. Cuban access is not cheap. It costs $3 a minute. Texts are $0.50 cents each. MMS are $1.30 each. And data costs $2.05 per megabyte. Yes, extrapolated out $2,100 per gigabyte. So don't plan on streaming any video unless you have some deep pockets. Also over the weekend, AT&T agreeing to purchase Time Warner for $85 billion in stock and cash. They will also merge AT&T's delivery networks with Time Warner's catalog of content with that deal. So AT&T believes the combined companies will be able to save a billion dollars per year once fully completed. And the company says the acquisition will diversify its revenue mix thanks to the lower costs, less regulation, and uh, the balance. Uh, this will balance out with the high capex model currently run by AT&T and its wired and wireless businesses with the DirecTV satellite service, which are all heavily regulated. The merger has also been approved unanimously by both boards, so don't expect that to take too long to get pushed through, but will require regulatory approval from the U.S. Department of Justice and the FCC. The transaction is expected to close before the end of 2017. The combined entity will compete directly with Verizon AOL. And I mean, this was really one of the biggest stories here of the entire uh, week and, and really the weekend as well. And, and it kind of captivated most of the, the media sites here as we kind of went through a relatively slow weekend. Right. It's, I mean, it's a very big deal. And, and obviously, as we've talked about before with Verizon and uh, Comcast and Universal, those deals that have gone through, you know, as these uh, big companies consolidate and they're acting as the content providers, uh, you know, and Time Warner is a very big content provider for all sorts of media. Uh, it, it, it takes out that step of, uh, of potential competition uh, and creates kind of monopolistic um, you know, tendencies. And this is kind of an, it, it, it's kind of concerning because it is such a big, uh, powerhouse, uh, combination here. And it's, uh, uh but this is the way the, the companies have been, uh, moving that direction. And, uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if they'll be blocked by regulation, but I kind of don't think so. Yeah, it kind of is interesting because it doesn't seem like it is. And, and you know, Joey, you sent me a, a graphic earlier this weekend about, you know, what this is actually going to mean. And as you look at, you know, from the, the split up of, of Ma Bell um, into all the different companies and, and kind of watching everything kind of kind of fall back in line, um, it is disturbing as well to think about 
where we were, uh, call it 20, 25 years ago when everything was broken apart and now we're uh, seeing all this stuff come back together. Um, and I think it was, um, if it was Stephen Colbert or somebody, you know, a number of years ago that did this when AT&T gobbled up singular and effectively the wireless industry had come back together all as one. And, and now we're seeing, you know, some of the content on the wireline side do the same. And, and, and it is indeed disturbing because you, you do really want to see some of the stuff uh, fall under separate companies so that we've got a lot of competition. And that's really what's best for consumers. Right. So the the the, the seven bells that uh, came from the AT and T breakup in 1984, uh, you know, there there's only two that now exist. Uh, well, there's okay, there's three total. So there's US West has become Quest. Uh, that's its own entity still, surprisingly. Um, 9X, uh, which is now into Verizon, and then Bell Atlantic, which is in Verizon, and then there's AT and T. So there's really just three is all we're left with now uh, because of that. And then, of course, on the wireless side of things, there's been so much consolidation from lots of small regional uh, players that are, you know, integrated with AT&T and also integrated into Verizon now. So it's, uh, you know, it's lots of consolidation. Lots of consolidation and everyone basically is running, you know, businesses that are, kind of aligned, you know, all together as one. And, it, you know, the, the competition just doesn't feel like it's there anymore. And so it's just a lousy situation for consumers that are trying to make sure that they've got the best prices and that they're they're be able to do the, the things that they want to be able to do. Because um, the other part of it is, you know, there's, you know, when it comes to the cable side of things, it's always been um, monopolistic. And so you've got things like Comcast coming out now and basically saying we're going to, put forth data caps and you know those have been on hold for a number of years but those are coming back into play now and so um you know you 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 kind of see how this stuff goes where if they can get away with it they're going to because they're going to try and push the envelope to really maximize their revenues absolutely and of course this gives them uh, a lot more lobbying power as well for uh you know actually controlling the regulation and you know uh kind of um, taking the teeth out of regulation like the FCC can sometimes do and sometimes the FTC and all these uh, uh, things that try to help protect consumers, they, you know, their power starts getting eroded away with the heavy, heavy lobbying that, uh, that can go on now. Well, and, you know, Time Warner, uh, you know, over the years has really been this content company that uh, has put forth, you know, some, some pretty decent stuff. Um, you know, and now being part of a company that is, you know, really providing these direct services, whether it's wired or wireless, a direct TV and whatever, AT&T has done a great job of building up these businesses. But, uh, you know, you certainly want to still see the competition there. And so um, $85 billion, one of the bigger deals, uh, you know, certainly of the decade, if if not, uh, you know, for the, the, the recent 20, 30 years, as far as mergers are concerned, uh, it's a it's it's a big deal. Something that we absolutely need to watch. We need to make sure that it, it's um, you know it's it's well documented and, and done in a way that uh, as consumers we are we're following this and we're making sure we understand fully that if we're doing business with either of these companies, uh, we understand what you're, we're getting ourselves into here. And uh, certainly, hopefully, we have opportunities to go with competitors if you need to because you don't agree with what it is that they're doing. So, um, you know, something still to watch. We'll talk about it more as the deal progresses. T-Mobile uh, Monday offering customers information about its planned launch of the LG V20 handset available for pre-order starting this week. T-Mobile asking for a down payment of $50 followed by monthly payments uh, for two years of $30. 
The total cost of the device, $770. Customers can also take advantage of T-Mobile's Jump on Demand program and get the device for nothing up front and $34 a month for 18 months. T-Mobile is offering several promotions alongside the V20. Uh, Customers can receive a minimum of $200 in credit towards the V20 when they trade in any working LTE smartphone. T-Mobile also giving away a pair of Bang & Olufsen H3 headphones for $150 value to those who buy the V20. The headphone must be redeemed online. Uh, Also, uh, this is the first uh, device on T-Mobile to support LTE and Band 66, so this phone will be among the first to ship also with Android 7 Nougat, which and which includes the new search tool uh, from Google. Uh, also, the device uh, itself uh, now available um, when you go and buy it in stores uh, if you're there uh, starting this week. So go and uh, pick up the V20 if you're looking for a solid Android handset on T-Mobile. T-Mobile also began offering roaming in Cuba like uh, AT&T. Customers will be able to use their T-Mobile phones to make calls, send messages, and use data. Again, not cheap. Voice calls, $2 a minute. Text and multimedia are $0.50 cents, uh, to send, but receiving is free. Data also costs $2 a megabyte. Uh, T-Mobile reminds customers that they can use Wi-Fi networks in Cuba to call back to the U.S. for free. T-Mobile customers have been able to place calls from the U.S. to Cuba since May. In device news, uh, the iPhone under poor network conditions may not be the best device for you. So the iPhone 7 Plus with the Intel modem chipsets do not perform as well as models using the Qualcomm chips. So Apple has sourced the iPhone 7 Plus model from both Intel and Qualcomm, and this represents a major change for the company, which has previously relied solely on Qualcomm modems. The Intel modem, the XMM7360, is found in AT&T and T-Mobile variants of the 7, while the Qualcomm model, the MDM9645M, is found in Sprint and Verizon, as well as the unlocked variants of the iPhone 7. So Cellular Insights has conducted extensive extensive signal tests with the iPhone 7 Plus and the bands on LTE of 12, 7, and 4 to see if there's any performance differences between the two modems. So under optimal network conditions, both the chipsets demonstrated an equal level of performance and speed in maintaining the connection. However, under weak network conditions, uh, the Intel-equipped iPhone 7 Plus posted speeds that were on average 30% slower than those with the Qualcomm-equipped iPhone 7 Plus. So with slower speeds on the call edge, mean that the Intel-based 7 Plus uh, may more likely experience dropped voiceover LTE calls and other similar behaviors. And they said in all tests, the iPhone 7 Plus with the Qualcomm modem had significant performance edges over the iPhone 7 Plus with the Intel modem. Uh, Apple has not said why it selected the separate modems for the different devices, but certainly something to keep in mind if you're picking up one of these devices here in the States on either AT&T or T-Mobile that you may see some interesting issues as you go uh, on into areas where you've got poor performance um, and might be a reason uh, to purchase an unlocked model of this device, although, of course, that's going to cost you significantly more. However, something to definitely consider. Verizon Wireless on Thursday said that the Google Pixel and Pixel XL are now available in its stores. The 32-gig Pixel is $650. The 128-gig model, $750. The XL at 32-gig, $770. The XL at $128 is $870. It is uh, the XL model and 128-gig is sold out, not available. However, you can pick up the device if you do order it. Monthly prices uh, uh, in 
include a range from $27 to $36. Uh, it will also offer $300 for select trade-ins, including the HTC One M9, iPhone 6 or 6 Plus, and the LG G4 and V10, as well as the Samsung Galaxy S6, S6 Edge, S6 Edge Plus, and the Note 5. Customers who buy either the Pixel device, uh, either device, may also pre-order the Daydream View virtual reality headset directly from Verizon as well. In software news, Google on Monday improving its Google Flights tool with new ways to track flight times and pricing. Moving forward, Google Flights will alert users about potential price increases. So for example, as people search for flights, Google will clearly display what it expects prices to change and what the price differential might be. Moreover, users will uh, be able to select when they can receive alerts when prices are about to change, either up or down, as well as track any potential changes in departure arrival times. Google Flights will also provide tips based on routes with recommendations concerning alternative airports and best travel dates for flying between two cities. Google has also improved the usability of its Google Hotel search function too, which can reveal specific hotels that are offering rate discounts and more. Flights and hotels are available for free via the browser. Google says both should now be easier to use from mobile devices. You know, I I, I thought this was an interesting story to include just because um, I, I know a lot of us fly, and you know when you're out there looking to try and figure out what you know the best flight prices are, best times, and all of that, um, you're basically right now uh, you know you're you're kind of forced to go to one of two places, and that is either the individual websites of the 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 airlines, or you're going to one of these aggregators. And so one thing that Google has done is put all the information effectively in one spot. And so it's hard to find information um, that is that varies outside of what Google has because they're able to go through and aggregate not only just from like a Trivago or something like that, but literally everybody that's out there and pull all the best information in, including the outlier, which is Southwest. And so um, whether or not it, it gives you the pricing, it kind of depends on how you do your searching, but you're ultimately able to see when the, the flights are there and make an informed decision on what it is that you're going to do. Um, and it, it's, it's basically my one-stop shop now for a search for flights. I just booked a flight last week with it, um, and it, it saved me hundreds of dollars as a result of being able to, to find the flights that were there available on an airline that I never would have chosen to gone to their website on. And so I, I, I kind of feel like it's it's just the future of, of how this is going. Same thing with hotels. Um, haven't booked any hotels recently, but um, ultimately it it's it's probably going to be the best way to go. And, uh, and most of us are using our mobile devices to do this searching now. So it just makes sense that they've got this stuff optimized for that. So it's nice to see that all of that is set forth appropriately. Amazon on Tuesday announcing Family Vault. This is a new service for Amazon Prime members that allows sharing of photos and videos with family members and friends. So Family Vault supports the Prime subscriber uh, plus up to five invitees. Invitees will have access to free unlimited photo storage along with five gigs for photos, excuse me, for videos and other files. Uh, photos are unlimited. Members of Family Vault can add photos and videos one by one as they go or, or automatically from most of any mobile device or PC out there. Uh, Prime Photos includes technology to help find people, places, things, as well as keyword searches and general photo subjects, as well as um, other things that are happening, as well as filtering by location and dates. Lastly, Prime Photos and Family Vault include photo printing services, so customers can create intricate photo albums and or print individual photos. Amazon supports uh, pr uh, print 
products starting at nine cents per photo and delivers to Prime members for free. Family Vault is available with the Prime Photos and Mobile application within the mobile application for Android and iOS devices. Microsoft on Tuesday announcing that Skype users can now sign into other Microsoft services using their Skype username and password. So for example, people who have Skype credentials can use them to log into Xbox, Office, or OneDrive. Further, people will be able to access those services across devices and platforms using the new single sign-in, negating the need to have separate usernames and passwords for each Microsoft service across their devices. Microsoft says it is now wholly managing the Skype sign-in screen, password changes, and account recovery flow, though none of these changes will impact how people access and use Skype. Microsoft says that the single sign-in tool will be available across the newest versions of Skype applications and across all platforms in the days ahead. And finally, in news, Apple on Monday made iOS 10.0.3 available to the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus. This update is targeted at the newest Apple iPhones and resolves an issue that has impacted cellular connectivity. Apple recommends all iPhone 7 and 7 Plus owners apply the update as soon as possible. So I know you were looking for this update uh, this week, Mickey, and it only applies to uh, iPhone 7s, which uh, we've seen this happen before. And now I can't remember exactly which device it was that we had one of these uh, outlier, uh, you know, specific device only uh, iOS updates. But um, it, it, this this probably means we will not see another uh, dot release for 10.0. Um, I, I think, you know, we'll see a 10.1 update uh, before we see another update for this iOS because I think they, they know this one is uh, hopefully going to fix the issue with Verizon, I think was a, the, the, big, um, the big reason they did this update because I guess LTE connectivity was really dropping out for a lot of users and it's probably the root of the problem that I was having as well with my device. I have not yet turned back on LTE, uh, a voice over LTE calling because I want to make sure uh, that it's been working fine, and it has been. I have not received. Uh, I, I I have not received a voicemail without getting the corresponding phone call with it. Uh, so 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 far, I think this is probably the issue that I was having, and I'm going to give it a little bit more time before I turn it on to try it out again. So, and I I'm I'm sure that's that's why they were doing this, and I think you're absolutely right that the 10.1 release is going to be you know relatively imminent. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, conversation that that was going to get released in October, which is essentially got one more week to go here. Um, so, you know, perhaps that pushes into early November, but uh, it should be out here in the next couple of weeks. So um, I would agree with you. I don't think there's going to be dot o any more dot o releases. So uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming most people have had their issues resolved with their iPhones. So we're not able to connect to voice over LTE, uh, depending on the network that they were on. So this is um uh, certainly the the update that many people were waiting for and ultimately I think uh, it, it, if this is what was needed to get that that issue fixed then uh, then people should be good to go just one question this week it comes from Dominic and he says guys uh, Dominic from Oklahoma City here I have a question about MVNOs I'm on T-Mobile and I plan to move to Metro PCS my question is moving to Metro will I get the same quality of service uh, I've heard that the companies like Straight Talk have their customers on slower data tiers as far as the speed and quality is this true of Metro PCS as well I will have to move to Straight Talk or another MVNO for a month because there's fine print from Metro stating that T-Mobile customers can't move directly to Metro services the reason I'm moving is because T-Mobile is getting complicated with the HD pass. Our bill went up because uh, because of everything. The plan went up and other stuff going on. Plus, it will cut out my bill in half. Love the show, Dominic. So it's a it's an interesting question. So um, the the question 
the, the biggest question here is really is, are you going to get the same service? Um, exactly the same? No, um, but it likely will be good enough, especially if you're in a major metro area, an urban area. Um, they don't offer the same roaming agreements that are out there, uh, but you'll still be using the same T-Mobile network. So if your T-Mobile service on uh, is, is fine now that on Metro PCS, it should be just fine as well. Like I said, with the exception of the roaming agreements they have in place. Right, and we have heard, you know, uh, persistent rumors that uh, NVNOs uh, have lower priority. So if a particular cell site is uh, packed, uh, really busy, maybe you'll get slowed down or bumped down in priority. Maybe it'll make uh, be a little bit more difficult to make a phone call. But I've never quite uh, believed that entirely. It, it may be true, uh, but I don't know if it is. Yeah, the the biggest thing is that you're what you're really signing up for is you're signing up for just the t-mobile network and, and when you are on t-mobile and you're running on the t-mobile network and you happen to find yourself in an area that doesn't have t-mobile service um if at&t has service or one of the regional carriers has service there you're able to roaming and uh, roam on them and that's something that you will not get if you go with one of the mvnos so that is the biggest difference between the two and whether or not you're you're going to see reduced service or your the speeds are going to be impacted um, is I think going to be a relatively minimal experience for you. Um, you know, it, it might be, you know, I'll call it a handful of times a year. Um, but, uh, I guess the good news is that with any of these services, you're, um, more than likely signing up for a non-contract plan and something that if it doesn't really, if it doesn't work for you, you can make a switch back and, and go back to either the regular T-Mobile network or switch to someone else entirely. So it's really not that big of a deal if it doesn't work out. It's definitely worth your time to try it out, especially if you're going to be saving half over what is already a fairly decent rate that you get from T-Mobile. So um, I would say go for it, Dominic, and you should probably be good. Uh, please let us know how it goes if you do make that switch. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us like Dominic did, you can send us an email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.